well, a number of years ago, we did a series in the book of Ruth, uh, quite a number of years ago now, and we also, at a, a midweek meeting, did a book by Paul Miller on uh, the life of Ruth. So we have gone over Ruth uh, a couple of times, but it's been a while, and uh, our uh, theme this morning touched somewhat upon uh, what uh, is found in the book of Ruth. Now, you remember, uh, uh, Ruth is one of those stories that's uh, uh, sandwiched in a very dark time. It's in the time of the judges, and it's sandwiched between judges and the coming of King David, uh, King Saul. So it comes just before 1 Samuel, which introduces us to Saul and then to King David. It's coming to the end of the book of Judges, a 400-year period of incredible backsliding. You can remember, you, you, you can imagine rather, being in uh, the nation of Israel for that length of period, length of time, 400 years of incredible backsliding, where they were continually going astray, and God. They would get themselves into trouble. God would judge them. They would cry out to God, and he would send them a judge, uh, like a Samson or Gideon or Jephthah or all of these judges that are now quite famous uh, in the uh, uh, book of Hebrews in chapter 11. And, and so in that dark period, there is this uh, very bright spot of covenant faithfulness and love in the story of Ruth. Uh, you will uh, recall as we uh, look back at the beginning that uh, there was this man named Elimelech and he went into the uh, country of Moab because there was a famine in the land. He moved everything off uh, over to Moab. He took his sons uh, and his wife and they went to Moab and while they were there, the sons married daughters. The, the sons died and... Um, and the husband died. Elimelech died. So Naomi and Ruth and Orpah, uh, the, the two daughters who married the now deceased sons, move back, uh, are, are, are on the way to moving back, at least. And um, Orpah goes back to her family in Moab. But Ruth clings to Naomi. She knows something of the God of Israel. She knows... Uh, over time, uh, the stories, the promises, and so on. God is doing a work of grace in her heart. And she shines out in this book as a woman of faith and grace. And so uh, the book then is built around Ruth. And they go back into the land. Naomi is poor. She has to sell her land. But the land is tied to the name of her dead husband and sons. The, it, the land belongs in the family, but Naomi has to sell the land. She is poor. So there was a mechanism within the, the law called the kinsman redeemer. So if a parcel of land, say that field out there, belonged to someone in the church and they got themselves into debt uh, and they had to sell the land. But it was in the family and that always belonged to that family. And, and the, the person's name was tied to that, fa that 
piece of land. And if they lost the land, that would be a great uh, cause for shame in the family. So you wanted to retain the land and to continue to perpetuate the name of the land owner. I don't know about you, but down our way, uh, that's the way it was. We, uh, you knew land uh, by uh, who owned it. Even if the, the, the person didn't own it anymore, their name stayed on it. So I am John C. McDougall's farm. It was a 55-acre farm. who used to crop hay off it. And I hated that field because we, it was such a big field and my grandfather would always cut the hay and it would be full of ba- uh, square bales and in the heat of the summer, as a young person, I can still picture in my mind a big 55-acre field. Then there, were the, there, was, there was the Betz's farm that, just across the road from that. And it's still the case today, and I'm sure it's the same up this way, that certain parcels of land are known by the person who owned it many years ago. But it was even more personal uh, in Israel. And so this is what Naomi faced. But Naomi had uh, an ace, and her name was Ruth. And she didn't sit around twiddling her thumbs and uh, joining in the pity party that uh, uh, Naomi had going on. She uh, was going to get out and do something. She was a woman of faith. So she said, I'm going to go out and glean in the, in the fields. I'm just going to go and find the first field, and I'm going to start gathering grain in the bag. And she happened to come along uh, to the field of Boaz. And uh, she's there gleaning and so on and getting grain in, into her sack. And uh, 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 Boaz uh, speaks to her. And she goes home and tells Naomi. And Naomi said, he is one of our relatives. And things begin to look up. The sun begins to rise on the dark life of Naomi. Having lost her husbands, she's now going to possibly lose her land. And now there's a a, a ray of light that's breaking through. And God has given Naomi this faithful, godly, young woman who now goes and is gleaning in the field of Boaz. Boaz in response, hears of what Ruth did in leaving her home, her, her Moabite home, and out of faith comes with Naomi to the land of Israel. And so Boaz uh, uh, wants to bless uh, her, wants to be a blessing to her. And the, the story unfolds where Ruth then goes at the harvest and spreads her cloak over the feet of, uh, of, of Boaz. And that is taken as a, a desire that you would become the kinsman redeemer. That you would then act on our behalf because you're a relative to stave off the shame of losing the land. You're family. Now, Act like family. Take the responsible position of helping your family, even the name of the dearly departed, uh, the name of Elimelech. He was gone, but you're part of that family. And so this is what Boaz does. And this is where we find ourselves then uh, in chapter 4. 
It's kind of a, a, a Reader's Digest version of the uh, book of Ruth. But now we find ourselves at chapter 4, where the actual transaction is going to take place. And one of the wonderful things about the book of Ruth is that it is gospel. It is a, a, a wonderful representation, one of the most wonderful representations of the gospel in the whole of the Old Testament. And the, we want to see uh, uh, several things here that this transaction is a public transaction. It's a public redemption. Secondly, it's a personal redemption. It's also a legal redemption and finally a full redemption. It's these four things. And we're going to touch upon how each of these four things uh, reflect the gospel and what Jesus did for us. And obviously, and uh, as, as we always do, it's a call to respond, to see ourselves in the story and to see, have I responded to the kinsman redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ? And so, now it says Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. Now the gate was the place where transactions took place. Uh, whether land was bought and sold, where things were discussed, it was in the gate. It was in the city gate where people came in and out. Uh, there's lots of these entrances in, into Charlottetown. There's the, the, the North River Road and the Trans-Canada. Uh, and, and probably things would take place at Tim Hortons. If they had a Tim Hortons, that's what would happen. So the, and, the, and that's strangely what you find in all the entrances into Charlottetown. There's a Tim Hortons at every artery coming into Charlottetown. And so this is where the business of the world takes place. Every Monday morning by people gathering for coffee, solving the world's problems. But at the gate of the city, this is where the transactions took place because this is where the hub of activity was. And so it was easy to get some uh, um, uh, witnesses together, uh, some elders of the city, call them over, come here and sit here. And this is what Boaz was doing. He was taking things in hand. He had a job to do. He saw the need. He saw the loss. He saw the shame that had taken place. He saw the disaster of Naomi's family. And again, Boaz becomes for us a Christ-like figure in the, in the book, in the story. He is the Christ there in the story. He is the one with the means. He is the one with the willingness. He is able then as a man of means and power and influence to organize this whole thing to bring around a, 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 a positive outcome. And so they are at the gate and they take he takes these ten witnesses. And uh, these witnesses were basically akin to writing a contract. You would sign your name on a contract. Well, these witnesses could testify in years to come, yes, this was, we heard with our own ears, Boaz and this other uh, redeemer making this transaction. Uh, and so it, it was basically the same as having a written document. And so these ten elders of the town really co correspond to a kind of a jury and witnesses that verify that Boaz, Boaz had done everything that he needed to do uh, to redeem 
Naomi's land and, and to continue on the name of her dead husband. This is very much the same in our own uh, redemption. When, it, when we look forward into the New Testament, uh, one of the striking things about Jesus' death was the public nature of it. That it was, it was public in so many ways. Not just at a city gate, but on a cross with his accusation written in Greek and Hebrew and Latin. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And so it was public so that everyone could read. Every, and it represented the whole world there. That that message was broadcast in those three main languages. He was crucified on a hill on Golgotha. He was crucified at the busiest time of the year at the Passover when people from all over the known world were coming to, uh, to participate in the Passover. This is what Jesus did for us. As Paul could say to Agrippa, these things were not done in a corner. These things were public. You know of them. You have heard of them. I know you've ha you have. And that's the nature of Christianity. It's not a secret religion. Uh, it's not uh, uh, propagated by secret handshakes or secret formulas. It's public and open. Uh, that's what Paul the Apostle said. We have done nothing secretly or underhandedly, but by an open declaration of the truth, uh, we commend ourselves to you. And so the Gospel itself becomes public. The Gospel is a public proclamation. Uh, and this is how it has always been. The psalmist says in Psalm 12, Sing to the Lord, for He has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Paul says in Colossians that Jesus spoiled the principalities and powers and He made an open show of them triumphing over them in it. It was open. There was this transaction that was done publicly before the world. Isn't that an amazing thing, friends? That Jesus was crucified publicly and that there was a real transaction going on there. The debts, the sins of the world being laid upon Him. Just as Boaz is now willing to take upon this debt himself, at the, in the gate of the city, now uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is uh, engaging in the greatest transaction that could ever take place. Your sin, all your thoughts and all your actions and all your misdeeds are now laid upon the Son of God. The sins of the world. Jesus saying, I will do it. I will be the kinsman redeemer. And I won't do it in a corner. I'll do it publicly before everyone. And he comes and he identifies with Naomi. Comes and identifies with Ruth. He identifies with the brokenness of the situation. He comes as a man of means to identify with something that he could have simply walked away from. He did not need to entangle himself with that. Nevertheless, he does it. And this is exactly... Uh, how our Lord Jesus uh, views us. He publicly 
identifies with his bride. You remember the story of Hosea, the prophet who uh, was sinned against by his wife Gomer. She had run around on him, had children by other men. And she then finds herself in the slave market. And she's up on a, 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 a high platform and she's being traded like a commodity. And Hosea the prophet, the national prophet, goes and stands with her and says, she is mine. And she, come to live with me and you will no longer live the life that you are living. He identifies with this prostitute, this unfaithful woman, this national prophet. And in, in a similar way, uh, uh, Boaz identifies himself with, with this broken, very broken situation. He, it is also a personal uh, redemption. He says in verse 5, Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow uh, of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in the inheritance. It was personal. It wasn't simply legal. It wasn't simply public, but it was personal. There was an admiration, a love on the part of Boaz toward Ruth. He admired her. She was someone that he highly esteemed. He had heard about her. Her reputation went before her. And there was this mutual love and respect between the two. In the grace-centered study Bible, it's, it has a wonderful note. It says that, that Boaz represents the nature of grace ultimately found in Jesus, who was under no obligation to redeem sinners and could have left them to all their just condemnation, but willingly took on flesh and paid the required redemption price, death on the cross. And that was motivated by personal love. Paul goes to great lengths to, to push that home to us. That we were foreknown from the foundation of the world. That He loved me and gave Himself for me. It was personal. And so, when you buy the land, you will also acquire Ruth the Moabite. In, this, in the prophet Isaiah in chapter 43, when God is talking about the redemption of His people, He says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are Mine. Since you were precious in My sight, you have become honorable and I have loved you. Wow, that is before. That is hundreds of years before the cross. And yet there is that very personal touch to the covenant that God has made with His people. The covenant of redemption. Listen to it again. Fear not, I have redeemed you. That's what Boaz is doing here. He's redeeming the land. And in doing so, he's redeeming Naomi and Ruth and the name and the memory of the dead. I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. And here Boaz makes special mention, not just of the woman, the wife of the dead man, but Ruth. He says her name. Even the man, the kinsman redeemer is not named. He just says, friend, 
You're the Redeemer. We, we don't know anything about... We don't even know His name. But Ruth is named. You acquire Ruth, the Moabitess. And God deals with us, each one individually, as if we were the only one on earth. That's why Paul said he loved me and gave himself for me. It was also a legal redemption. Now this was the custom in former times, verse 7, in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought the land from the hand of Naomi and all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and to Malon. And uh, also the Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. So it was done according to the law. It was done according to what was already set down. We see not only the love of Boaz, but we see his willingness to obey the law. He wasn't going to circumvent it. He wasn't going to jump the queue. He wasn't going to try to maneuver this man out of the way. The law had to be fulfilled. No matter what Boaz felt, no matter what Naomi or Ruth felt, the law of God had to be satisfied. The How it is set down, the nearest kinsman. And so Boaz makes a point in public, in front of everyone, you are the one that, to whom the responsibility lays. And so he says, you can do the right thing. But these are the conditions that come along with it. He wanted to perpetuate the name of the dead. He wanted to do what the law said needed to be done. And yet, he does it in a very uh, uh, interesting way. The man was ready to do it. And then he said, well you must also take Ruth, the Moabitess, to be uh, your uh, wife as well. And Well, he, that for him was not what he wanted. If he was just going to redeem the land, okay, I can do that, I can use the land, and do all sorts of things. But if she has a son, if we have a son together, that will complicate then maybe the inheritance for the sons that I already have. And so... Uh, it, it may be something that's too expensive or too bothersome for him or something that's going to complicate it. Whatever the reason was, he backs out. But it's all done according to the law. And that is what we again find in the Word of God. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Jesus had to fulfill the law in order to save us. Blood had to be shed. That was one of the great burdens of the Old Testament. Even before the children of Israel came out of the land of Egypt, they had to take the blood of the lamb and sprinkle it over the doorposts. We, they couldn't draw near to God without blood. 
They couldn't have a, a relationship with God without blood. The law had to be fulfilled. They had to take that lamb or that bull or whatever it was and do it according to God's plan. God Himself could not abrogate His own law. That's why Jesus had to die. There was no other way for you and I to be here tonight, to have the hope that we have without Jesus being crucified on that cross. And it goes back to what the book of Leviticus says when it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And therefore, a great pain to Himself. And that's, that's the wonder about the Christian faith. It's not God is not in a place to, to simply sweep our sins under the rug and say, okay, I have, a, I have executive privilege. And I say, I make up the rules that we're just going to forget all about it. God can't abrogate His own law. God cannot uh, 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 deny Himself. Someone has to pay. The law has to be satisfied. Divine justice must be satisfied. God could not be God otherwise. And, uh, and so in doing so, He prepares a, a body for His Son. As Psalm 40 says, You have prepared a body for Me. It's incredible, friends, that, that, that God would say to His Son, this is the only way. Father, if it be Your will, let this cup pass from Me. And the heavens were silent. There was no other way. The law had to be fulfilled. Divine justice had to be fulfilled. Without the shedding of blood, there is no redemption. And so Peter uh, and Paul make a great deal of that redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We're, we're bought back by the blood of the Lamb. Just That's the idea here. Redemption. It's to buy something. To buy back what someone has lost. And Jesus did that very thing for us. He was our kinsman redeemer. He comes not only with the love of God in His heart, He comes with the law of God in His heart. And that is important for us as well. Because emotion and love can blind us to what we must do. And so we need both. And law can simply blind us as well to, to love if all we have is law. But the bringing of those two things together work in an extraordinary way. And that's what we find in the story of Ruth and Boaz. We find a love between the two of them. But we also find that that doesn't override what the Word of God says. And so it must be in the church. So it must be in our lives. That emotion and so-called love today does not begin to throw bits and pieces out of the Bible because we say love is love or God is love or whatever it is. No. God is love, yes but He's also given us a law. And in that law, if we keep to the law of the Gospel and see how God has, has kept His own law by redeeming through shed blood, the blood of His own Son, that's where we really see the love of God towards sinners. Not by God lowering His standards. That's what we see going on in some of the states in the United States. 
the state of Oregon saying, well, if we want to get more uh, disenfranchised, unfortunate people in the schools uh, who can't get in because the grades are, what, what we'll do is lower the grades. Rather than improving the educational system, we'll just lower the grades and lower the expectations that you need to get into. You see, that that's what people are doing in the church. You want to be part of the church? You can't abide by the old laws and the old morality? Well, just get rid of it all. And you can be an elder, you can be a minister, you can be married, you can do whatever you want. This is man's way, but it's not God's way. God's love does not abrogate His law. And neither did it do so in the life of Boaz and Ruth. They trusted. They believed that God was able to honor those who honored Him, and so He did. It was a legal transaction, and so it is uh, with you and I. It's a legal transaction. He has made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And then lastly, it was a full uh, redemption. Verse 9, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belong to Elimelech and all that belong to Kilion and Malon, also Ruth the Moabite, and the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead, and so on. It was a full redemption. Land, people, everything. All that was Elimelech's. Boaz totally binds himself here. Completely. And so he makes sure that in doing so, he has crossed all his T's, dotted all his I's, made sure that everything was legal, that he, he lets them know that it has been completely redeemed. So that there's no question later on that nobody can come back and say, well, there's this and there's that. I don't think we, we dealt... So, enough with that clause or the fine print or whatever. Here, Elimelech says, I have bought all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and to Malon and also Ruth the Moabite. And so the hymn writer says, full atonement can it be. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Full atonement. It's complete. Jesus cries out the greater Boaz from the cross. It is finished. The bill is paid. It's all fulfilled. And Paul, in the same spirit and in the same vein in Romans 8, he says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The shame is gone. The debt has been removed. Who has removed it? It's been purchased by the kinsman redeemer, the greater Boaz who took it to himself. He who had the means. He who had the love. He who knew the law. He who was the lawgiver. He 
takes the fullness up into Himself. And He redeems us, body and soul, and land and sea and universe. As joy to the world says, as far as the curse is found. That's what He does. That's what the kinsman Redeemer does. And so we were singing this morning in Psalm 8 about the dominion that was given to man that was lost. You gave him charge of all the works created by your hand and everything that you have made you, have, you gave to him to command. All flocks and herds, birds and fish, all beasts wild and tame. The writer to the Hebrews says that man lost that, but what do we see? We see Christ who for a time was made a little lower than the angels and suffered shame and death. And he has recovered what man lost in the fall. He is the great kinsman redeemer. And how does he do do it? By living a perfect life and by shedding his pure, righteous blood on the cross. Full atonement. Full atonement. Can it be? Hallelujah. What a Savior. And so the writer to the Hebrews says, He is able to save to the uttermost all that come unto God through Him. Let it be known today that I have bought all and I have redeemed all that belongs to Elimelech, to Kilion, to Malon, and Ruth the Moabitess. I have taken the land, the people, everything. It's all mine. I have brought it back. And so it is with you and I. He has redeemed us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, says Paul in Colossians. Redeemed us from the dominion of darkness. Friends, it is a greater shame and a greater bondage than anything that Ruth and uh, 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 Naomi could ever experience what we have been delivered from. Eternal punishment. Bondage to the power of darkness. And all to the glory of His great name. See, this, this man, who again, like I say, is nameless. He's, he wants to protect his name. His inheritance. He doesn't want to tie himself to some foreigner. Ruth, the Moabitess. He doesn't want to complicate his inheritance. But the strange thing is, he's nameless. And it is the name of Boaz. Look at what it says in verse 11. Then all the people who were witnesses at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming to you into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel, May you act worthily as in Ephrata and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may uh, your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. It's Boaz's name who paid the price. This man had an opportunity to do the right thing and to perpetuate the name. But he is nameless. 
But in the stream of redemption, God makes the name of His servants known. And He brings in all of these people from redemptive history. People whose lives were not exactly uh, uh, exemplary. Tamar, who bore... uh, 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 Perez, rather, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Tamar and Judah were... It was an incestuous relationship. And yet they bore this son, Perez, and through that, God's grace was active and He brought all of these things about. That's what happens when we side with the Lord Jesus. When we believe in Him, when we trust in Him, when we acknowledge Him to be our great kinsman redeemer who has redeemed us by His blood, Friends, the world is going to forget all that's going on. That, that, that all the famous names and all the glory of this world, it will be gone. Like this man will be nameless. This Redeemer who backed out, who said, it's too costly for me. I don't want any part of it. Rather than doing the right thing, rather than paying the price and saying, yes, I want to do what God would have me to do, he backs out. And that's what millions of people are doing today. They're looking at it and say, it's too expensive for me. I want to live my life. I want to have all that the world has to offer. And they ultimately become nameless. They become forgotten. They become uh, 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 cast out. But God knows our name. He loves us. He he loved me and gave Himself for me. It's personal with God. And He makes our name to be remembered. And He gives us that full redemption that Elimelech brought to the house, that, that, that Boaz rather bought to the house of Naomi. Full redemption. Body and soul. So that even now, as we were saying this morning, When our bodies go down into the grave, whatever grave that might be, in Argyle Shore, Cape Traverse, wherever it is, we know that even as we're laid down in that six feet down into the ground, we do so in hope. Because our kinsman redeemer, to him, that body is precious. He says, it's full atonement. And when I say full, I mean full. Not just getting you from this place up into heaven to float around somewhere. But he says, full redemption. That body of yours is precious to me. And I will raise it up out of the ground one day and I will reconstitute it in a greater, more glorious way. And I will fully redeem you. I will redeem your humanity. I will redeem your psychology. I will redeem every part of you. Your heart and soul. And the land on which you walk, I will redeem that. The land will no longer be cursed. There will no longer be thorns and thistles. I am the Redeemer. And when I say redemption, I mean full redemption. And Boaz and Ruth give us a small, shadowy picture of what Jesus 
is going to do. Because that theme of the great kinsman redeemer, which is so beautifully typified for us here in this story, comes to cosmic expression in Jesus, in us, and in the new heavens and the new earth. Let's pray.